Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 31 You are Locked On Hawks. Your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 83 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It's very, very, very late on Monday night, actually into Tuesday morning as I'm recording this, and you'll be hearing this sometime on Tuesday, I assume. The Atlanta Hawks just uh, finished off a, a close-fought loss to the Golden State Warriors by a final score of 105-100. to 100. Uh, For those of you that stayed up late to watch this one, you were rewarded with a quality basketball game. You know, not the most uh, you know well-played game by the Warriors, uh, from the Warriors' perspective, but at the same time, the Hawks played quite well, as, about as well as one could play in a loss, uh, considering the fact that this is one of those situations where, as uh, we talked about a little bit on yesterday's show, it was kind of an impossible spot for the Hawks, and they uh, did what they could in this game, led kind of throughout, you know, not wire to wire by any means, but led for, a, you know, big chunks of this game and held a lead in the second half, but uh, kind of gave, kind of ran out of gas just a little bit, you know, fifth game in seven nights for Atlanta in the fourth game on this road trip. Um, that was kind of the theme down the stretch as uh, the as the Warriors made made a couple of plays. Uh, defensively, Draymond Green made a couple of highlight plays, uh, taking taking it one-on-one uh, defensive assignments against Kent Bazemore and Dennis Schroeder in the final seconds and kind of locking them up to preserve the victory for Golden State. Lots to get to in this game. Uh, obviously, you know, Overarching themes, this is a, uh, a, a very, very nice defensive performance for the Hawks. They allowed only 103.6 points per, per 100 possessions to the Warriors. Uh, Golden State entered with the best net, with the best offensive rating in NBA history, and they were held far below that, uh, despite the fact that they scored 105 points. You know, a lot of people will look at 105 and think that can't, be, that can't be a great defensive performance, but this is a fast-paced game, and the Hawks did a very, very nice job on the Warriors on the defensive end of the court. Holding guys like Steph Curry uh, in check, you know Steph, Steph finished with 25 points, only 17 shots, which seems to be pretty pretty fine. But uh, only six of 17 shooting for for Steph in this game. Uh, Kevin Durant had 25. Clay had Clay Thompson had 20 points. Draymond Green only had four points in this game. And the Hawks, you know, did did hold the Warriors to only 12 of 35 shooting from three point land. 35%, I mean, uh, almost 35% from three, which is just fine against, you know, against this, this kind of prolific offense and uh, under 45% shooting for the Warriors here. Uh, offensively, you know, the Hawks had some issues as they have uh, in, in, recent, in recent days and kind of for, for most of the season, I've been talking about how much the offense has lagged behind and there was some of that in this game, especially in the fourth quarter. The Hawks kind of just didn't make shots. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, there's the excuse of uh, kind of running out of gas and having some tired legs on the fifth game in seven nights and that has to be said but in the same breath 
there were a lot of makeable shots that just didn't go down here and a lot of execution issues uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, as far as you know, individuals are concerned, I thought Dennis Schroeder played arguably his best game of the season. The other, the other contender would be the Cleveland game in which the uh, Hawks were on the road earlier in the year. That's not, not uh, two bad games to submit your best performances of the year if you're Dennis Schroeder. Uh, Dennis has been pretty bad uh, in the recent past before tonight, but he, was, he had a very, very nice two-way performance, uh, 24 points and six assists offensively. Did have five turnovers, but most of those were early on. He really settled in and had played a very nice game of offense. And defensively, he was uh, in large part responsible for Steph Curry's off night. I thought Dennis was uh, really, really good, very aggressive offensively. There was also a stretch early on in this game in in the first half in which Malcolm Delaney came in off the bench and had an explosion. Uh, I think it was nine points and four assists over about a seven or eight minute period for Delaney in the first half. And that was kind of his entire night, uh, night of production because Schroeder was uh, heavily involved down the stretch, actually came back in a little bit early in the fourth quarter. And Dennis played 34 minutes, which is more than he would normally play uh, in a game like this. But uh, he was playing so well that that was certainly justified. And uh, the point guard position was a, a huge upgrade on what it's been in the recent past. And I think that's kind of uh, can be attributed to at least – at least some of the way that the Hawks played here was just getting quality play from the point guard position and, of course, holding Steph Curry down a little bit. Uh, also, you know, Dwight Howard played 37 minutes in this game, which surprises me uh, just a little bit in that you know Bud does not like to push minutes like this, um, especially on, on the second night of a back-to-back with a guy in Howard that I think they're trying to be a little bit careful with playing time-wise, but they also needed Dwight on the court for rim protection uh, in this game. Uh, Howard only had one block shot, but that definitely under, underscores, uh, under, sort of, I guess, understates just how well he played defensively and deterring shots at the rim for guys like Curry. Um, Just kind of just being there, being active. Had 16 rebounds. Uh, in this game, also 14 points for Dwight. He was not not incredible, I would say, offensively. There were some issues. He only only, take, only taking eight shots. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Howard was uh, content to not post up a ton in this game. I think he only had two or three post-ups the entire game. While they didn't go super well, I think it was Nate Duncan that pointed that out on Twitter. Uh, and I went back and checked that. I think it was only three post-ups in the entire game. And uh, Howard did not convert on those necessarily. But um, keeping him engaged with that. And uh, his defense was valuable enough tonight that there was certainly no reason and to uh, nitpick his performance. He was very good in this game. Um, Paul Mosap, not so much. Kent Bazemore, not so much. Uh, Paul, to be be fair, Paul did a ton of stuff on the defensive end on the glass. Uh, 14 points, 14 rebounds for Bill Sapp, and obviously his defense is always phenomenal. He did a great job on Draymond Green, holding him down to the aforementioned four points. Um, but Paul's shooting night was not great. 3 of 11 in this game. Uh, Offensively, um, Paul still has not looked comfortable really all season. In terms of his efficiency on the offensive side of the ball, we'll come back to that later in the podcast within a, a little bit of a segment that uh, pertains to that. But at the same time, uh, Millsap is his value is so is so deep elsewhere that it's not that much of a big problem. But as we get deeper and deeper into the season, some of his efficiency numbers uh, being far below last year uh, are a bit worrisome because you need you need Paul to be as good as he was a year ago. That was probably always going to be a tough ask, and you know coming into the season, I kind of predicted somewhat of a regression from Paul only because it kind of had to happen after a career best season but uh offensively uh he's struggling a little bit to generate the efficiency that uh he did that he did last year and there's a couple of things that could be going on with that we'll talk about a little bit later 
I got several messages during this game, both publicly and privately, about Kent Bazemore. Uh, another off night for Kent, uh, four for four for fifteen from the from the floor in this game. He did finish plus four, but a lot of that was because the starting lineup just played well together. Uh, that's been a rarity this season. The Hawks have struggled with the stars on the court most of the year, but uh, they were very good in this game, and that kind of contributed to the fact that. All five stars were at least even, if not in, in the plus. And again, they lost by five points, and they played a lot here. It's because they played well together. But Kent, uh, you know, 4 of 15, not great. 0 of 6 from 3. A couple of those were really kind of badly forced that I, you know, you, you never want to see. I, I think it kind of, I, I don't know, it lends itself to think that Bazemore continues to press a little bit. That's my opinion. You can see it in his body language that he's certainly frustrated by how he's playing offensively and a couple of uh, forced shots there, um, 4 of 15. Uh, it's just unacceptable for really anybody. But uh, for the most part, I would probably say, just off the top of my head, probably 10 of the shots were just fine, and five of them were forced. And out of the five that were forced, I don't, I'm not sure he made one bad shot in this game. Um, so a couple of wild drives to the rim that I know frustrates some people that I've heard from. Um, Kent, you know, he played quality defense in this game, I thought. Did a pretty good job uh, deterring Kevin Durant, especially early on here. I thought Kent had, he, he really brought a ton of effort um, in the first half to keep Durant under wraps, and that's a tough matchup for Kent because of all the size that he's getting up there. But Durant did not go off in this game, and Bazemore and Tabocephalosha should be credited for that in a big way. But offensively, Bazemore continues to struggle in a big way, and that is really going to hamper this team uh, long term, especially if he cannot kind of recapture what he did a year ago. Um, you know, Bazemore did struggle down the stretch of last season, kind of under the radar, unless you were paying close attention, but uh, he's been even worse than that to start this season. So hopefully, this is just an extended slump and not a, uh, a new baseline for a guy who just signed a four year contract. Uh, there's plenty of time to talk about that deal, but uh, he was not good in this game. And also, you know, Kyle Korver, I'd be remiss without talking about Kyle. Only one of six from the floor here. I thought Kyle was decent, um, especially defensively. I, did, I thought he did a pretty good job battling Clay Thompson in this game. That's a very tough assignment for a guy like Kyle to have. And uh, Clay did not go did not go crazy. Only twenty points on eighteen shots. He'll take that all day long from Clay Thompson. And Kyle did a good job defensively, but. Only getting off six shots is a concern in a game like this because the Warriors are not, you know, they're not a bad defensive team by any means. I think they were still, they came into the night as the number seven defense in the in the entire NBA. But you want to be able to uh, get some quality of shots off against a team like like Golden State, and they were not really able to do that with Kyle here um, on the bench. I mentioned Malcolm Delaney a little bit earlier. I thought Tabo Cephalosha, which I briefly briefly mentioned earlier, did a very good job defensively and uh, continues to play very well. Mike Muscala had a couple of really nice moments here. Didn't play as much as you as actually as I thought he might. The Hawks did go with only nine players in this game, which uh, I, actually, I was actually encouraged by because Chris Humphreys would have been a very very bad matchup against the Warriors. And uh, I thought I thought they might roll with Torian Prince a little bit, but uh, you know Bud was probably un- understandably hesitant to throw him out there to the Wolves in this in a spot where uh, he would be uh, overmatched and really every matchup that he'd be asked to play in. So only going with nine guys is just fine with me. Uh, Muscala played twenty minutes here, played quite well four. Five from the floor, nine points, four rebounds in 20 minutes, and it was pretty decent. Uh, um, Tim Hardaway Jr., only one of six from three. I continue to think that Hardaway Jr. is just not a very good shooter, and that's something that uh, you know is frustrating because he looks like he should, it looks like he, like like he would be a good shooter, but the numbers are kind of are what they are. He entered this game as a 33% three point shooter. That's going to go down after this game, and uh, this is the third year in a row now that he's been sub 34 and a half percent. From three, and that's just, he's not a good shooter. That's kind of where we are at this point. He's a volume guy. He's a capable offensive player in a lot of different ways. But as a pure three-point shooter, uh, Tim Arnold Jr. continues to lack a little bit in that area. 
Um, in terms of other stuff to hit on, you know, I thought, you know, just again, for, playing the fourth game uh, on the road trip and the fifth game in seven nights, you know, I think you saw a lot of the legs go out in the fourth quarter. A lot of open shots the Hawks were able to generate and just not make. A lot of them were left short. That's a kind of uh, indication of uh, just a team that was running out of gas in the fourth quarter. There's no shame in that. This is a high, high octane, high tempo you know, in really kind of uh, high-intensity games because the Hawks had to kind of lay it all on the line in order to go into Oakland and give this game a uh, – give the Warriors a real game here. So no shame running out of gas a little bit, uh, especially on the second night of a back-to-back in the fifth and seven nights. But that kind of told the story. And really, Golden State missed a ton of open looks in the fourth quarter that would have put the game away. There were several, you know, three, four, five uh, dagger looks that I thought Golden State would normally hit that they missed basically all of. Um, and that kind of let the let let the door open a little bit longer than it probably should have been for Atlanta. But for you know for three and a half quarters, the Hawks were uh, as good or better than the Warriors. That's kind of all you can ask for in a game like this. And listen, if, if the Hawks are going to shoot seven of twenty nine from three, they really have no business going in and winning in Golden State or really beating a team like Golden State at any venue because uh, Atlanta just continues to not shoot the ball very well. Uh, It's something I tweeted about um, coming into the game beforehand about how just the Hawks only have two guys on the entire roster shooting better than 34% from three this season. Um, Kyle Korver, obviously, and the other guys, Mike Muscala. It's not even a perimeter player. Uh, I talked about Hardaway a little bit earlier, but guys like Schroeder and even Delaney, who I think is a good shooter but who's struggling early on. Cephalosha, there's a lot, you know, even Paul Millsap is not shooting the ball particularly well this season. So that's a, it's a point of contention, something that I worried about coming into the season, as I, I probably talked about it ad nauseum on the podcast. But um, the spacing issues are real, um, and this game didn't really bite them too much. But uh, if they made you know two or three more threes, this game would have been a different story. And that's not a, not a tough ask if they had just shot you know 9 of 29 or 10 of 29, which is still uh, not really a good uh, not, not a good percentage. That would have been enough to get this win, potentially, and um, just not enough made shots in this particular game. Uh, even as they dominated on the glass, which is important. You know, this is a game which the Hawks rebounded 29% of their misses. A lot of that was Howard and Millsap, you know, nine offensive rebounds between those two guys. But it's kind of what they needed to do against the team, the rare team that's uh, kind of a lot smaller for the most part in the Warriors. You know, old, old pal uh, Zaza Pachulia only played 16 minutes here for the most part. The Warriors were playing very small, and they kind of extended some guys' minutes. Draymond Green played 39 minutes here, um, and David West only played nine minutes. So for the most part, Gold State went small, and the Hawks were able to take advantage of that on the glass. Um, it just did not come up to be a victory in the end. Um, with that out of the way, I think we probably talked about the, like, that individual game enough. It was a good performance from the Hawks, a very encouraging one in my mind after a, a bunch of uh, you know situations in which the team laid an egg. Uh, obviously, the game in Utah was a disaster. Uh, the Lakers game did not go terribly well. The Pelicans game before the, before the road trip did not go well at all. So to, to play well even in a loss was encouraging, and that kind of gives some hope for the, uh, the last game on the road trip on Wednesday in Phoenix. Um, with all that game out of the way, though, I want to talk to you a little bit about the sponsor of today's podcast, and that sponsor is SeatGeek. The NBA season is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the games you want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being in at the game for the biggest plays of the year, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the seats you want for a great value. SeatGeek has the best deals on every ticket in the house, wherever you want to sit, whether that's courtside, the club seats, or the upper level. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere with just a, few, just a few taps of my screen. I can instantly find seats for this weekend or any game this season. 
With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary based based on where you shop, but SeatGeek will always find the best of the best and lowest available price for each and every event. And SeatGeek also wants to get the, also wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. That's called Deal Score. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit into your budget. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee, and that's something that a lot of ticket sites can certainly not match. Best of all, the listeners of this podcast, my listeners, can get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. In order to get that $20 rebate on tickets, you need to download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. From there, you need to enter promo code LOHAWKS, and SeatGeek will, SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code LOHAWKS. That's LOHAWKS to take advantage of this tremendous deal. To close up today's show, I wanted to uh, take a little little bit of time, about five minutes or so, to play a clip for you guys from the most recent episode of the Dunked On NBA podcast. I've referenced that show uh, numerous times on this show uh, in recent days and weeks, and uh, Nate Duncan and Daniel LaRue, who host that show, are gracious enough to allow me to play a clip from the from the podcast. They partnered with the Locked On Network uh, and to uh, sort of band together and go after those uh, sort of national brand name podcasts a little bit, so shout out to Nate and Danny. Those guys do phenomenal work on a daily basis. This is part of an extensive podcast that, that they released on Monday uh, before the Hawks Warriors game, that should be noted. This is this, this took place before the game happened, but um, they did, they did about five minutes on the Hawks and sort of overarching takeaways. Every once in a while, Nate and Dan check in on the entire league on, on, on each and every team. And uh, Monday was the Eastern Conference portion of the 15 and 60, so they talked about the Hawks for about five minutes. Uh, listen to that clip here, and I'll come back with with a couple of my reactions after the fact. So here is Nate and Danny. All right, let's get to Atlanta. 10 and 7, but a mere 3 and 5 since we last checked in on them. 21st in offense, but first in defense, 73% chance at the playoffs. One of the things that showed up to me is that per the sport view data, as of a few days ago, they were leading the league in paint touches per game. And that's passes into the paint from outside the paint. And a lot of those are these Paul Millsap to White Howard post ups, but those are good post ups, right? You want those uh, where you're getting the ball with a foot in the paint and Millsap and Howard are doing a decent job of that. And they're also leading the league in the number of passes out of the post as well. It's, I don't know. I don't know if I feel like their offense is sustainable. It's just a weird, like they have a lot of good well, players. Well, they're 21st. Uh, at yeah, this I guess point. that's true. I, I, it's, you have these moments with them and I don't know if it's just me, but every time Dennis Schroeder takes a three, especially when it's a pull-up, my brain just goes, just starts screaming no, and he does it way well, too much. Well, he has to take that shot, though, if he's going to be, if they're going to be effective. He if they just go under the, on him every time. He doesn't have to take the pull-up three all the time. He can take it I, more I mean, than the pull-up. they're going to go under on him. That's the strategy. Uh, I mean, I think he he, he has to make that shot. Uh, maybe he, he can't to make, make it. it. I agree with you there. Yeah, yeah. And Kyle um, Korver's not shooting enough catch-and-shoots. You noted, you noted in kind of the prep that he's only shooting 3.4 game which is 45th in the league some of that is opportunity but some of it is also just not finding him when he has the chance yeah and they don't have i mean still Millsap, howard running a pick and roll with schroeder that you can go under on they just do not have the ability to draw two defenders to the ball the way some of these other teams do and you know obviously corver is someone that they stick to makes things a little bit easier but if they had someone who actually could like make you leave him it would be much better for their efficiency and you know, same as when they had Al Horford and Jeff Teague, 
the big bugaboo here is just not having those guys who can go one-on-one that Lakers game today they couldn't score against one of these worst defenses in the league the Lakers because they were switching and then they just didn't have anyone who was able to score on them and the starting lineup in particular has been really bad and the point guards have been really bad the starting lineup is a negative 12 net rating going into Sunday and then Schroeder he is not doing well in the box score stats which he used to do he only has a 13 PER and he's 75th in RPM among point guards that is really bad and it's too bad because I think some of these other guys are doing well they have a lot of wing guys Mike Muscala has put on some more weight he looks like a completely different player than he did his rookie year when he would just get steamrolled in the post every single time uh Tabo Cephalosha is shooting very well he's having one of his better seasons Tim Hardaway actually has now become a capable rotation player at least early on in this season I'm not ready to say declare victory for the Hawks yet in that trade but he at least has been doing okay he obviously can be a free agent which is part of the equation too um, and then, you know, even Malcolm Delaney, he's not really someone who can get to the basket at all. He'll like shoot a mid ranger. You have to guard him there, but that's, that's about it. He'll play hard on defense. He's a smart player, but he's only in the fifties in RPM too. Uh, they're turning the ball over a ton. I think they are both, I want to say they're number one in both turnovers forced and turnovers committed, uh, in terms of the rate, uh, just a, a lot of weird things about this team, but I'm not sure that this offense can get much better. I'm not either. And while he's not really a part of their offense, Tiago Splitter is out six weeks with a calf strain. And I was when I saw that, I was thinking about how both of us were so positive about that from Atlanta's perspective. He was a salary dump in the process of getting Marcus Aldridge, which was actually something we did in the mock off season. I was the Spurs and traded away Boris Diaw instead. But the Hawks got him for uh, nothing. Memories. The Hawks got him for nothing. He only played in 36 games last year, and he might even play in fewer this year. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. And six weeks with the calf strain, he had that history of calf strains. That was one of the things that sunk them in that 2015 playoffs against the Clippers was that he missed time with that. He had a million of those. That's why the Spurs moved on from him. And I mean, it's it's concerning that it's always like some kind of a muscle injury with him. There's the groin first. He's working back from that, tries to ramp up, and then he gets the, this calf strain. I think they're okay okay without him though considering there's no way he's going to play as well as Muscala has now if they if they have a suffered Dwight Howard injury they could be in big trouble too uh and they also Paul Millsap part of this I think is because he has Howard in there kind of taking up some of his preferred real estate uh but also part of it is just because he's 32 years old he his efficiency has declined quite a bit he's now below the league average in his efficiency only a 17 PR it's way below where he's been these last couple of years and then Kent Bazemore as well is not shooting the ball well uh he uh Shot well tonight, but had been four of 26 over his last four games before that. Well, um, and those are two guys that really benefited from having a floor spacing five. You know, having Al Horford there who forces defenses to handle everything differently. And of course, going from Teague and Schroeder to Schroeder and Delaney hasn't helped either. They definitely missed Teague, like, despite the fact that we didn't like that acquisition that much for Indiana, just because of who they're trading away. I think Teague is still a quality point guard, and despite his rough start to the year, he's still better than Schroeder. Uh, and so, yeah, they got the number 12 pick with Prince. He's not quite ready yet either. Uh, he has to be told where to be a lot He does when you see him out there on rare occasions. And, and he might help them at some point here, but... You know, the idea that this team with that eight and two start, uh, they had that great win at Cleveland. The idea that they were going to be like a 
a powerhouse this year i think you know that first in defense we shouldn't sniff at that but i don't necessarily see them getting to be an above average offense so i think they'll be a solid playoff team they'll get back home they'll look a little better but uh i don't see them uh being like a big threat you necessarily even to be in the top three in the conference when it's all said and done i like watching them on a game in game out basis and they are a nice test case offensively for the difference between a four spacing five and a talented dwight's having a very good year but a talented but very different traditional five so there's obviously a lot to get to in this clip. I'm not going to go over everything that Nate and Danny had to say, although I will say that I basically agree with all of it. I trust Nate and Danny uh, extensively on this kind of stuff. And uh, if I am, of course, I would, I would certainly tell you if I disagree with anything. But for the most part, uh, we're kind of in lockstep here. Uh, I thought it was interesting though on the uh, paint touches early on about Paul Millsap and uh, Dwight Howard and uh, Nate's assertion that they're getting quality post touches. I, I'll kind of push back that on that a little bit in terms of Dwight, but um, as, as far as passing out of the double teams and stuff like that. But Paul Millsap is very, very good in the post. That kind of helps to make up for a lot of Dwight's issues, and uh, for the most part, that's something that the Hawks have been, uh, you know, able to uh, paper over, and that's a quality thing if they can get it going. Um, you know, offensively, there's a, a of course, Nate Nanny have an, an extensive discussion of the offensive issues, and uh, that's something that I would certainly echo. Um, this is a team that I don't think is going to be a league average offense. That's the big takeaway here. I just don't see that happening. I've been saying that since the beginning of the year, and they kind of fooled everybody early on, taking advantage of some bad defensive teams and kind of playing above their head, I thought, offensively. Even in uh, even in Monday's game, you know, the Hawks finished the night uh, scoring less than a point per possession against the Warriors team that's not not awful by any means defensively, but not great either. And uh, in the end, they're not able to make the requisite shots necessary to uh, achieve a, a quality offensive effort on the whole. So no, nothing uh, surprising in there, but uh, just another reminder that this is not a good offensive team, and I I don't want to see that happening because of the fact that they don't have enough playmaking. They don't have enough shooting. I mean, if, if it was one one or the other, I would be less worried. But, you know, on the playmaking side, you saw what Dennis Schroeder can do, what he's capable of doing on Monday night when he plays well and when he's locked in and when he's aggressive. But that's not going to be an every night thing for Dennis Schroeder right now. We just haven't seen that from him for long enough to say that that's going to happen on a nightly basis. And aside from that, your second best creator on, in the starting lineup, at least, is Paul Millsap. And, you know, your power forward shouldn't be asked to do too much of that. Paul is very skilled. He's a good passer. He can get his own shot. But in the end, like he's not a dominant one-on-one scorer that you want to, and playmaker for others. Uh, that's the uh, that's the drawback of playing Kent Bazemore and Cal Corver together as your starting wings, um, guys that I I like in the aggregate. But at the same time, like it's not the greatest pairing offensively in the world, especially if you don't have uh, the requisite spacing around them. Because uh, it worked uh, last season for the most part. You know the offense was not great. That was the worst kept secret in the world is that Atlanta was not awesome offensively, but they were certainly better than they had been this season. But when you play Jeff Teague and Al Horford at the one and the five, that as they talked about, um, as they, 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 they talked about the team that does miss Jeff Teague's consistency, but really I think offensively they miss, they miss Horford a little bit. Um, you know, Howard does bring some things to the table. We've talked about that. His, uh, his pick, his status as a pick and roll finisher, uh, is certainly a valuable thing. And, and you can see when he, when he and Schroeder have it going, how effective that can be. But in terms of space, uh, Paul Millsap has less op- less operating room this year. Kent Bazemore has less operating room this year because of the fact that teams are not having to space the court in the same way. So a lot of things to talk about there. I'll let you uh, go back and digest uh, what Nate and Danny said, but for the most part, I agree with all of it. And uh, it was nice to hear them compliment guys like Mike Muscala and Thomas Efalosha and even Tim Hardaway Jr., even if Nate uh, agrees with me that uh, I-, I think it's too early to declare victory in that trade, as Nate said, uh, for the Hardaway trade because of the fact that he is a free agent and a this is still a small sample, but 
I think everybody that listens to this podcast on a regular basis knows how I feel about Tim, although he has been better this season. I'm going to keep saying that so people don't think that I don't like Tim Hardaway Jr. because I'm going to keep telling you that he's played well this year as over and over and over and again until he doesn't play well. That's, that's my strategy at this point. Um, in general, though, the overall the overall takeaway at the end of their uh, little clip there um, is that this is kind of an unsustainable start. The nine and two uh, cl- the nine and two Hawks were unsustainably hot early on, but Nate calls them a solid playoff team. I think that's probably still true. Um, I'm still I think a little bit lower on the Hawks than most people are. I, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be in that you know four five seed range that people seem to be settling in on. I think this is a playoff team that would it would it would, it would certainly be a surprise if not. If for me, probably only a mild one, but still a surprise if they suddenly just were not in the playoffs because of the fact that the rest of the East is no great shakes. You know, teams like Washington are really underachieving. Like Indiana does not look good. Uh, aside from Chicago, Chicago is about the only uh, positive bright spot among that entire middle tier of teams. So the Hawks looks like they're going to be in the playoffs, and I would agree with that. But uh, I would also agree that uh, with what Nate said uh, and what Danny said about this team not being the biggest threat in the world in the playoffs because of the offense, uh, not really a threat to teams like Cleveland or even Toronto, maybe even Boston in a playoff series, just because I, don't, I just don't think, them, I think I don't think that they can score consistently enough as currently constructed. Long way to go, of course, but I wanted to play that clip for you, and uh, just it's always good to hear national guys talk about the Hawks uh, for more than just 30-second sound bites. So uh, shout-out to Nate and Danny for that. Uh, that's going to do it for today's show. Uh, we'll be back again on Wednesday talking about the Hawks, as we always do, uh, five days a week. We're always here. It's sort of the uh, your team every day concept of the Locked On Podcast Network. And obviously, you know, I would recommend that you go out and listen and subscribe to the Duck On Podcast. That's part of the deal here is that uh, I would certainly recommend that. Uh, that's one of the best uh, national looks at the NBA. And really, for me, the most in-depth, if, if you're a, if you're an in-depth uh, sort of X's and O's person or a CBA dork or a, just an NBA diehard like I am, that's required. Required listening for me to listen to the Dunk Dong uh, show every time it goes up because it's it's nerdy in the best possible way and they do a great job of sort of relating things to the more casual fan when necessary as well. So recommend that. Uh, please subscribe to this show if you're not doing that, that already. Uh, find another show on the Lockdown Podcast Network if you haven't already. If you have, if you have your second favorite team or your favorite NFL team, uh, if, if you're a if you're a Falcons fan, go ahead and lock, uh, subscribe to Lockdown Falcons. I listen to that podcast regularly and they've just uh, had a host change. You want to go ahead and uh, lock in there with. Aaron Freeman, who's going to be the new host of the Locked on Falcons podcast. As he as he gets started, I would recommend that as a big Falcons fan that I am. I'm rambling now. I know it's 1.34 a.m. as I record this locally, so forgive my ramblingness on this uh, on this fine Monday evening slash Tuesday morning, and we'll be back again on Wednesday with another brand new episode of the Locked on Hawks podcast. So thanks again, guys. Stay tuned.